0: Welcome back, horror fans, to the Week in Horror podcast. This week, we are covering September 13th through September 19th. Thank you all so much for joining us. I am JL, and with me tonight are two very special guest hosts. Johnny O from the Plot Hole has returned, Mm -hmm. and you will recognize her as the official timekeeper of the Week in Horror Bloodbaths, Week in Horror editor and producer, Angela... Hey guys!
1: I feel like I've been here before. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe
2: just once or twice. <laughs> One,
1: yeah, yeah, it's familiar territory. Yes, I'm happy to be here. Yes,
0: this is what I wanted. I want to come. To, this is Johnny's fourth time on our show That's right. on Weekend Horror. I think he's a, he is. I think at this point he's legitimately a, a, a host. I think he's no longer really a guest host anymore. Maybe maybe you got to have five. How many times have we punched your card?
1: Mm, you know what? I'm, I, like I was telling you, you need to add you need to add a little puppy in the back of your new uh, of your new season two artwork. You have the Cerberus, so a three-headed Uh-oh. dog, which is obviously you, Eugene, and and uh, and Alex. Now we just need a little puppy dog in the background that says Johnny. Just a little, right? little bit of guy. Johnny's
2: just a rotational host at this point. <laughs> he's like I'm you hap- know what pretty much he's been you know what i got a day off let's do this
1: <laughs> i'm happy to feel it at any time
0: well he's definitely you know our you know of of the guesses we've had had on you've You've been fantastic in uh, your. I mean, your knowledge is is comparable to us. You love horror as much as we do, um, and uh, you really really dig into the, the. I would say the finer points of our favorite genre, which is uh, which is really really cool. I love having you on. I know the boys love having you on, um, Alex and Eugene. And by the way, for our listeners, um, Alex had uh, has some personal stuff, had some family stuff coming down. Uh, we wish his dad the best. His dad is kind of sick right now, mm-hmm. but uh, um, I know he's fighting something, so uh, he's helping out the family there. And Eugene is down in Austin fighting or I would say protesting but yeah fighting the good fight for our industry for the entertainment industry and uh for crew for uh, basically for crew workers and trying to uh, help legislation get passed that can protect um crew workers pay yeah. Hell yeah. during this insane time right now so he's down there fighting the good fight making us all look bad
1: <laughs> well we can't all go whisking down and protesting in Austin
0: This is true. I have bills to pay.
1: See? They're
2: protesting here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, yes. Johnny's fourth time on the Mm -hmm. show. And I actually go back and look at this. So awesome. And uh, Angela, Angela's first time being on the show, which is pretty fucking cool. Um, Before we jump into the movies tonight, I really got to ask... What do you what do you what are you guys' thoughts? We have the season we have the fucking season finale next week. Yeah. On the sixteenth. My my head is fucking exploding.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Um should be a lot of fun. I'm gonna pop in at the beginning, I think. Uh kind of just, you know, keep on your parade for a little bit and then head on out.
0: cool cool hey and if you're you're more than welcome if you want to hang around and, and uh and tech for us too because oh, i'm yeah, so no, fucking yeah, i'm so freaked out <laughs>
1: absolutely yeah i'll I'll definitely hang out in the background and, and uh help eugene out uh as you know as the wizard behind the curtain
0: that'll be sweet yes you are you are our wizard of oz
2: i'm just I'm, i don't know how I'm I'm I should super take excited that. for you guys i can't believe we've been doing this for a year yeah fuck
0: one year. I know. It's crazy. And, and I totally and 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 for those listeners like that, this Angela's my wife, and I totally sucked her into Whoa. editing for us because Whoa. word <laughs> choice,
3: Word choice.
0: I totally dragged her into editing for us, and because her editing is awesome, but she, but she has taken the time to to sit down and and edit every single episode
2: and bloodbath and
0: horror. And our bloodbaths. She's our official timekeeper on on the bloodbath debates and our after dark sessions. So she is the power behind behind all of us. If without Angela, this show wouldn't happen because she's the one cutting and pasting. And every time we fuck up or every time we drop something, or every time there's like three minutes of silence because you know, we're all waiting for everybody else to pick up the pick up pick up the goddamn cue or or Alex is too stoned and he forgets what he's supposed to say. <laughs> um she's the one that solves all that and fixes it and makes it sound awesome.
1: Alex so. doesn't
0: get stoned. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well it is awesome having the two of you together here with me doing the show. This is gonna be I think this is gonna be a really, really fun one. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. So with that being said, what do we have up first?
0: All right, we're going to kick this bad boy off um, with a personal favorite of uh, favorite of mine. I would say this is more of a guilty pleasure, because I, I enjoy the franchise. Um, we're going to look at Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, released September thirteenth, nineteen 1991. Holy fuck, I was 11 years old yeah. when this came out. Yeah. Jesus, I'm fucking yeah, old. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, directed by Rachel Tale- uh, Talele, um, and uh, written by Michael, De- uh, Michael DeLuca. And starring Leslie Dean, Sean Greenblatt, Yafit Kodo, Lisa Zane, and, of course, the man Robert Englund as Freddy Mm Krueger. This was the sixth installment in the original franchise. And the one that supposedly was supposed to be the end of Freddy Krueger. Because um, I think that there were complications at New Line during the time. And... uh, Robert Englund wasn't certain if he was going to return, so there was things were up in the air. So this was supposed to be the Freddy's dead, the final nightmare, the, the you know to finish the whole thing out. And fortunately, you know he did come back for Wes Craven's New Nightmare because Wes Craven is the man; he can get anybody to come back. But uh, this one, I think, cemented the the tonal shift of the entire franchise. In this one, Freddy has returned um, and is trying to basically take on the entire world by utilizing his daughter. His unknown daughter, uh, which was kind of inserted for this uh, for this uh, movie to reenter the world and start killing kids again, because now that he's completely finished with everyone on uh, Elm Street, it's time to go on because every town has an Elm Street. And wackiness ensues. But the comedy in this one was definitely higher than the <laughs> horror, than the straight horror on this one. There were mm-hmm. some good moments and some really solid kills. And it was a decent kind of send-off as far as the sixth film goes. But, uh, yeah, it's it's wild that uh, only six, because Jason, I mean, you know, Jason's been going strong for a while. And they thought that this one was going to be the end of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so... Okay, anybody who knows anything about New Line Cinema and the the Nightmare on Elm Street series, whenever New Line Cinema says, "Hey, we're failing," let's put out Nightmare on Elm Street. That kind of just like resurrects them. Um, and we knew that this wasn't. Everybody who watched this movie knew it wasn't going to be the last. You can't let a horror icon like Freddy Krueger die in a shitty film like a final nightmare.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It there's no way, absolutely no, no way that, that could happen. <laughs> that that. that, that the boy can't go out like no, that. No, no,
2: not at
1: all. No. And it was a huge tonal shift. It was very much. Uh, it, it was almost like a farce.
0: I would say because they reused several things from uh, from you know pre- from previous entries in the series, right? They, several side gags and um, uh, several setups. So
2: yeah, that made it uh, a little bit more cartoony in places than what you're used to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh,
0: the power, hey, Spence, the
3: power glove. Let's,
0: yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> I've
2: got
3: power.
0: Yeah. Okay, I will admit, I will admit, the Johnny Depp cameo was nice. No, that, that was, was definitely good. nice. Unexpected. Yeah. That was pretty slick. What are you on? Looks like a frying pan and some eggs to me.
2: <laughs> I mean, I don't know what was in that kid's weed, but I mean... <laughs> Yeah. He got I'm, some bad
1: shit. <laughs> I've uh, I'm not I'm not an expert on the marijuana or the devil's lettuce, but last I checked, it does not make you hallucinate. <laughs> Even though it is classified as a hallucinogen.
0: It is. Mm. It is. Now, this is interesting cause this was also New Line's First 3D film oh, to yeah. be released because they did the yeah. whole sequence at the end when uh, supposedly the you know, the audience was supposed to put on the glasses at the same time uh, the the uh, the lead actress when she when when Tracy puts on her glasses and so they can you know go through the 3D experience um, at the same time so it was not even the entire film it, no, was, just it was like this last this final ten sequence minutes kind or yeah, something yeah
2: ten or fifteen yeah.
1: minutes yeah and it was cheesy as fuck yeah
0: it was oh my god oh
1: what do i need these glasses for we hadn't said a word about any kind of needing special shit and all of a sudden just retcon fucking 3d glasses mid-movie i need these glasses to be able to see in his brain what
3: (laughs) What? this makes no fucking sense
1: (laughs) there's suspension of disbelief and then there's just bullshit i'll let you guys decide where that falls (laughs) i was not happy with this film if you can't tell
2: well, it what? it wasn't a great way to be like, this is the final Freddy, because, I mean, from the first one all the way, <laughs> and then you get to the end of it, and you're like,
0: what?
1: Yeah. I didn't think they could make a worse film than number five
0: exactly yes dream <laughs> yes dream child dream child i was suddenly some. well i will say there were a couple of kills in that that were that were kind of just visually cool okay see for um, me it,
1: it seems like the nightmare on elm street after the third one it went straight to what are the how can we kill the people the best right it was just like a collection of kills it wasn't they didn't develop any story i mean and the story they did develop was just i mean strung together haphazardly and they broke rules and changed things, and I was like this doesn't work for me. Come on, give me a little bit of a story.
2: A Maybe bit. they were smoking the devil's lettuce
0: that that kid and <laughs> <was>. smoking <laughs> meth. <laughs> some interesting, so, some interesting things about this. Despite despite the fact that the film really didn't, you know, obviously didn't swing as hard as they as they thought it would. The, the stuff that they did for this was really cool. I know that um, they consulted a bunch of people for uh for drafting this thing i know peter jackson actually drafted a screenplay for the for for the final uh for final nightmare which unfortunately was not used i would have liked to have seen that i would
1: rather have seen yeah the peter jackson version of final nightmare
0: (laughs) that would be interesting
1: yeah that would have probably been more genuinely terrifying
0: I think he would have brought obviously his unique. When you when you take a look at things like Brain Dead and um, Meet the Feebles and the Frighteners of and you know, and, and where he goes as far as his makeup effects and uh, the tone that he brings, I think it would have been darker and I think the effects would have been better. And I think it, he he would have respected the rest of the franchise and tried to bring the whole thing full circle. And instead of it just being Freddie shows up, we beat the fuck out of him. We pretty much do what we do every single day. We pull him into reality, beat the shit out of him. And then the they just happen to blow him up. Right. Instead of doing something else. Um,
1: yeah. I would have liked to have seen more, uh, developed story than just, hey, let's take the same plot line of every movie and then yeah. just do it again.
2: Just recycle it and throw in some wackiness
0: right and that goes that goes to show and and i think it would have been smarter to go in that direction if to go a little bit darker to bring and i know that the tone shifts from and it really kind of started in 3 because one one was straight horror and mm. with freddy you know being yeah. comical in some some respects but that was a legit straight horror film and then 2 went into a really weird direction i i love to i thought it was it was excellent for the for the thematic um, kind of energy you know, of the dream state of what Freddy is because that that truly felt like a legit nightmare. Yeah, and t- I liked that the, that direction. Yeah, two mm-hmm. is
2: probably my favorite. That's and
1: that's then kind in, of and the, telling because number two, if you think about what number two is saying, the the conversation of of, uh, of Freddy's revenge, it's kind of shitty
0: it's it doesn't reflect it, i think it was a reflection of the mentality at the time
1: yeah yeah, yeah. Like it's the the worst thing to do like this thing inside of you is homosexuality and you got to get rid of it the only way to get rid of it is to you know find a girlfriend and not be gay anymore that's kind of that's kind of a shitty thing to do
0: true yeah um but i think also but i think well well yes i think it was a it was a it was a reflection of kind of the negative stereotype at the time and the writer may have inspired that i think also given what we know now um, and I hate to use the term woke or like that, but there are that I have spoken with fans and I have I've heard fans express that it was also a matter of of kind of dealing with it kind of cathartically, kind of like I have felt this way. Right. I have felt like I am in this person's shoes and I've been through this and it is a living nightmare. So it was kind of like the personification of what people were dealing with at the time, what people still deal with, which is why I think while it wasn't well received. At first, it has come back up as kind of like, wow, that was it. It was tonally bad, you know, at the time. Well, it's it just like, didn't you know, age this is well. not a great. Yeah. Um, but it, it had some very powerful things to say, as as much as a horror film about, you know, Freddy Krueger could possibly say. Right. And then, of course, the tone really began to shift with three, because three brought in the Dream Warriors. And the ability to fight back in the dream. Four expounded upon that with what with you know with, with one person able to use the the dream powers of multiple people and become really powerful against Freddy. Then five was the Dream Child, which is like what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> but it was more just like you said. They tried to ramp up the kills and make it more visually stylish. And then of course this one just went, uh, you know, camp.
1: Very much so. It seemed as if like it seemed as if Freddy's dead was. Robert England coming on stage as a comedian, Freddie, like Freddie was on stage just to make us laugh as opposed to scare the shit out of us.
0: I've, yeah, I've always been I've always been very, very curious as to as to what external influences y'all might think drove Freddie to become the kind of goofy killer that he was by comparison to, say, Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers. Or even new guys like you know like uh, Ghostface or like this where the kill the killer is visceral the killer is brutal and they're not really camp at all but Freddy remains the you know, the big camp one and there you know what you know, there could have been external influences I'm kind of curious as to what you guys might think. Well, so the only, I, I think the he only just thing,
2: loves his job.
1: Well, sure, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, so killing killing kids is is game and you know. Business is good, as Major Payne says. <laughs> no, I think, uh, so if you look at, if you look, Freddy Krueger's always told jokes, have a little bit of one-liners. But if you look at the original, right? So Nightmare on Elm Street, when he gave his one-liners, they weren't meant to make you laugh. They were meant to torment you. Like, here's a yeah. guy who's truly getting off on making you piss your pants as he's killing you. You know all the little things that he does, a little one-liners are not meant as any kind of comedic relief whatsoever. They're meant to mentally torture you, Uh, because you know here's the thing: he could have killed every one of those kids the first time he was in a dream with them, but he didn't because he wanted to uh, season the meat to coin or to steal a phrase from a different franchise. We won't name that one. Uh (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's uh, it's a good one though. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so it, it seems you know like i said in the first one he was very much i'm saying these these one-liners but it is not meant to make you laugh i it's terrify you it is to torture you before i end up gutting you before i end up you know sucking you through the the bed and turning you into a big old juju of blood um souls then it better that like, way. Uh, what's that
2: souls taste better that way
1: well, All go. nice yeah.
2: and juicy. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but then, yeah, with a, uh, it just got worse and worse. The the one liners were coming at the wrong spots. You know, like the uh, check in, but you can never check out. Uh, like okay, man, it's just <laughs> like
0: like too much, like too much emphasis was put on making sure that we have them in right,
1: there. as as opposed to letting them happen more naturally.
2: What was the actual question again?
0: Oh, just your take on what external influences might have might have caused the Freddy tone to shift like that, with his influences from, uh, from you know from competing franchises like Halloween or um, Friday the Thirteenth or like that, whereas they pretty much stayed straight horror. And to kind of, um, my view has always been that um, the the int- the intention was to set Freddy apart from the other, you could say, mute brutes. That were out there to set them apart from Friday the 13th, set them apart from the Halloween franchise, um, from the various other, from the many, many other, you know, stalking killer thing. The, the one liners, the jokes and the camp and the, and the, and the twisted dream kills always kind of set Freddy apart. And I think that it became over reliant. The people became over reliant on the character and, and proving the character was different from anybody else and instead of the storyline and the plot.
2: Well, and I think that um, the reason that they ended up going all wacky cartoonish, like, more and more is that they were, like, the the one-liners that were in, like, one and two were well-received because they were meant to be scary. um, But they just, like, pushed it to the point where it was just ridiculous. Like, I can't take you seriously anymore, but it's funny, so...
1: I kept expecting to hear the, you know, the da 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 song every time he would yes. show up on
2: well on I mean he did a, a wily coyote throwing what's his name? The I don't know, John Doe kid, like through reality or whatever that was. And right. <laughs> like there's the imprint of his body.
1: Right. And that whole thing was pointless because he just ends up killing him later anyways.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was it it. Well, I think it wound up goofier than they intended. Uh, there might have been. I don't know. It's hard to say that there was. You can usually tell there's intention if there's unintentional or intentional comedy in a horror film. I think. I I sadly think that this was unintentional comedy. That things that were that came out funny weren't really meant to be funny. But then again, um, there's not much. Info on what studio interference there may have been on this mm. and what you know what was really intended because there were many, many drafts of this script that did well, not get made.
1: That right there tells you that there was a huge uh, studio interference.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was a bunch. I mean, there there was uh I think the original script, they were gonna tie it directly into um they were gonna tie it directly back to uh Nightmare 3, uh Dream Warriors. And that they were going to pull that. That Alice was going to come back and uh, aid Jacob, and aid of uh, you know Jacob Johnson, uh, who was the son of uh, Alice Johnson, or who was her son in five. Mm-hmm. And that Alice was going to come back and help him defeat. You know, like, and then they they tossed that idea out. And then Peter Jackson was brought in. They didn't use his script. Um, uh, but it was cool. Peter Jackson's story, because uh, I was looking it up. Peter Jackson's story was about teenagers who didn't see Freddy as a threat and took sleeping pills specifically to enter his world.
1: Right. Yeah, they were. It was like a test or or a show of manhood or revival yeah, or some shit. Which,
0: mm. which is interesting. Where that where that might have gone, and that that definitely would have left it open. Um, or maybe it could have wound up wound up being a final one or or however it goes. But I would have loved to have seen that take place. But here's a really good question. Now that we are so many years past, this came, you know, the Freddy's Day came out in 1991. And shortly, uh, what was it like? It's like three years later, um, New Nightmare came out. And then came Freddy vs. Jason. And that was the uh, the last film uh, version of Freddy to show up. And I think Robert Englund donned the Freddy outfit or donned don the Freddy costume one more time for an episode. Oh, God, what the hell is the name? It was a comedy show. That he was on, that he showed up in, um, I can't remember the name of Me it either. But anyway, he showed he showed up for one episode of a co- of a comedy show where the the one of the main characters was having a nightmare and encountered Freddy Krueger. Um, hmm. But he's pretty much, but Freddy, uh, but Robert Englund is retired, and so the big question that I want to ask, and I want to ask this of the audience as well, Robert Englund has expressed interest in Kevin Bacon picking up the role
3: Ooh. as the
0: next Freddy Krueger and carrying the franchise forward in maybe a reboot or, you know, new or however they want to do it. Um, but definitely probably not a remake because we saw, you know, i love Jackie Earl Haley to death. I really do. I loved him as Rorschach. I love him in the work that he does. He just did not make a great Freddy. No. In, uh, in the, in the, in the remake. I was just, it was so, you know, the changes to the story and, you know,
1: I think the remake was just bad.
0: It overall, it was just not good. Um, but he, but Robert Englund has expressed interest in you know Kevin Bacon maybe taking over the role. He thinks he would, be, he would do really, really well in it. But I'm really curious, uh, not only you guys, but what do what the audience think? Who would you like to see pick up the role of Freddy Krueger and carry the franchise forward from here? What actor do you think has both the, the ability to intimidate? Because Freddy Krueger's not a big dude. He's not big and scary and Silly doesn't wear a mask like that. Yeah, he's creepy looking. He's got a burned face, got the, you know, the bladed claw. But he can be, he has to be able to comedically handle uh, handle the situation and be frightening and intimidating, either with a voice or with a look or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Who's got the chops to handle it? Actually, who could, take, who could pick up the mantle other than, say, Kevin Bacon? Hmm.
2: Ooh. Actually, I would like to see Kevin Bacon as it. He has the physicalities that would uh, be perfect, actually
1: that's a good one i'd have to think about that one for a bit because now that you said kevin bacon i I started to uh, picture him in the role and it does seem to be a pretty good fit although i don't know if kevin bacon would ever do that
2: yeah i don't
0: know i'm not sure he would yeah i'm not sure he would um i think his performance in hollow man mm-hmm. that's, tells see, me that's that he what could-
1: that's what i was thinking it's exactly where i went when you said um kevin Bacon, freddy Krueger. i immediately went hollow man thinking man he could probably pull this off because he's done a similar type role Mm
3: -hmm.
0: and i was thinking hollow man if you combine what he did in hollow man with his asshole fucktard character in in the in uh in a super and james gunn's uh you know kind of indie superhero film super with rain wilson and um and ellen page uh uh Kevin Bacon played uh, this asshole like gangster drug dealer douchebag in it but he was funny his reaction to shit because he was reacting because mostly he he reacts to Rain Wilson trying to be a badass right. and his reactions were perfectly timed and actually quite funny he was actually one of the funnier parts of that movie um but obviously we've seen you know Kevin Bacon can go deep he can go funny he can go he he's in he can be intimidating he can be he's got a look and he's got a glare a uh, stir of echoes. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah, and he's got, you know, some piercing eyes and not to mention yeah. he like his fluidity is is really good for, you know, a role like Freddy's because while he is like a slight build, he's not like awkward. He's very smooth.
1: And it's time to take my pills. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you were younger, uh do you uh, was it uh, what is his name? What is his name? He was a uh, he was a kicker in the replacements.
0: Oh, um, he was also in the. Uh, you talk about the the Keanu Reeves one. Yeah,
1: he was also in uh, uh, Hannibal, not Hannibal. Hannibal Rising. Yeah, he was in Hannibal Rising. Golly, what is his name? Rise Iphens.
0: Oh, um, I think it, he would be interesting. Yeah, he's got an interesting look. Right. And uh, uh, Angela, you'd remember him from uh from. um Oh there was a there he was, was it was in Notting Hill?
1: Was he in Notting Hill?
0: Yeah, I think he uh he, let hmm. me see. here. It was like and he was the I think he was um Hugh Grant's brother. Yes,
1: he was. Yes,
2: you're right.
0: He wasn't oh. and and then had the scene where he went out there and he was like flexing for the cameras and he it was in oh. his underwear. And he was
2: like Yeah. Yeah. You remember that? I do. Yeah, yes. no that would be an interesting pick.
1: Because he's kind of ha- he kind of has that same type of of uh, he can play the comedic aspects of it and the the kind of creepy aspects of it.
0: Yes. He did a um uh he was the uh the CIA I think was he the the CIA director in uh that um that Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh film where he where he played Snowden. Where he played uh, mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and in that he um he was the C- he was the creepy, you know, always you know coming in via broadcast kind of like creepy CIA dude. And he's got a, a real stillness about him, which could be which could play both ways. So he, that that is an interesting pick. And I'd like to know what the audience thinks. Let us know. Uh, shoot us an email or hit us up in the comments below who you think should take the role of Freddy Krueger next if they decide to carry on the franchise. Let us know or show, shoot us an email at weekendhorror@gmail.com at or throw one in the comments below.
2: It's a great question. All right,
0: I know we have a good one next, Johnny. And uh, what do we? This one's so great. Yeah,
1: I did. What do we, I didn't get a chance to to re, to review this film before today, but it's Humanoids from the Deep, 1996, September 14th. Um, yeah, directed by Jeff Jonas, produced by Roger Corman, uh, starring Emma Sams and Robert Carradine. So basically, the army attempts to create the perfect soldier, our perfect water soldier. And they recruit death row inmates, um, and that just turns men into fish hybrids.
0: Hmm. (laughs) Death row inmates. Death row inmates. Always a good choice, right?
3: It's the best thing (laughs) for you.
1: Know what? I want to create a super soldier. Let's get people are going to die anyways because that's the perfect motivation. Uh, Amphibious uh,
2: soldiers.
1: What's that? Oh yeah, amphibious (laughs) soldiers and man fish hybrids. So, uh, But they are deemed too dangerous in order to be destroyed. But, of course, they get out. Entering the sewers. It's always got to be the sewers.
2: Yeah, Don't because why, sewers.
1: Not? Right, why not? Why uh, not? So, yeah, this is, uh, like I said, I didn't get a whole lot of time to go back and, and look at this one. Um, I, yeah, I looked at a little bit of it, and it looked... Funny, fucking hilarious. Actually, it, so, hilarious. it was this definitely
2: a, grainy. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, this was a Showtime one, right? It was a Showtime TV.
0: Yeah, it was. It was remade for. It was. Uh, it was. Re, it was a remake of the 1980 original um, that that was presented as a part of Roger Corman presents.
2: Okay, so since you didn't uh, have a chance to like review it, uh, one of my favorite lines is uh, he's talking about he's going around. Killing people like Al Bundy.
0: Uh, that's
1: Ted Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> Ted Bundy, the film- Al Bundy, one of the two. One,
2: no, of, the Bundys. Was-
0: the, the, one f- of the Bundys. The film has so many... Uh, I think it, what's, what's, what's humorous about this one is that the remake was a straight horror film. Straight up horror sexploitation. exploitation. Classic shit, you know, lots of TNA, lots of, you know, lots of gruesome death, and a lot of, like, gooey, gross stuff, because these things aren't, like, just, like, like legit, like, fish people. They're freaking disgusting. They're really gross. They are. And they do a lot of really gross shit. Um, But this one, I think, was – the remake was intended to be – to capitalize more on the humor – and it kind of expressed it a little bit more than the original did because the original was extremely dark. There was a lot. There was a lot of rape in it. Um, a lot of you know women falling prey to these monsters because they all the the objective they, they in the original the the objective was to kill the uh, to kill all the men and rape all the women and impregnate all the women and and you know have offspring. There was a Which, there was know, a, is,
1: there was a pregnancy in there, wasn't there? There was a yes. birthing scene.
0: Yes,
2: I'm
0: at the very to very remember
1: end. Remember this film.
2: Yeah, it was, uh, at the very, very end, uh, because she uh, they did blood tests or whatever, and they were like, "Yeah, no, it's all negative." And then as soon as she's like in the car smoking a cigarette, and like <laughs> it comes bursting out of her. Gross. Roll credits. <laughs> Roll credits.
0: <laughs> so it was it, it was interesting because. Many times when you have remakes, you all they, they, you see a lot of alterations. Whereas of between the original, and this one, and fortunately there was not a ton. Um This one stayed pretty true to the original, and uh, I like the fact that Roger Corman was behind it because Roger Corman, this is straight up his alley. He loves that. He loves doing this shit horror, exploitation, and with a with a with a twinge of comedy. Um It's just it's literally right up his alley, and I. I for all of its flaws for the for the bad for the bad monster designs for the goofy monster designs the film has its moments it's definitely a fun little time killer as far as you're just watching monster movies and seeing gross stuff and seeing what people do uh what you know what the production company was able to do with the effects and just kind of like setting the setting up the 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 scenes is pretty is pretty interesting so I think it was one of those kind of little, it was like, let's go ahead and remake this. We can remake it on the cheap, and we can throw it on basic cable as a part of this, and, you know, it'll kind of fill that void. Right. It right. definitely
1: uh, it definitely filled that void of cheap, shitty, I mean, cheap, <laughs> awesome, basic cable kind of stuff.
2: <laughs> and you can definitely tell that they wanted to throw a little bit of comedy to not make it so, um, so like, scary compared to the first one because like in the first 5 minutes like there's like this over exaggerated sigh from someone like ah! <laughs>
3: and <I> was like
2: it's <laughs> like oh well okay
0: <laughs> well you know Clint Clint, How- Clint Howard was in this and that says everything about what you're trying to do with a film.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh Clint Howard that is the ice cream man.
0: Yes, that is the ice cream man. <laughs> Now, this is – but one thing that struck me about this one, and this came out in 1996, so, well, over 20 years you know, later, um, towards the end of the 90s, we really did see a decline in the sexploitation genre.
1: There was a – yeah, it kind of coincided with that whole anti-rape movement thing. I'm kidding. Don't rape people. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh. but
0: that's it but it's interesting because sexploitation was such a huge thing because it, it popped up in the late 60s um when people begin to capitalize on the idea you know of, of putting sex in horror and right. making sex a big you know like tell you know t- tits are coming out and then of course every slasher film from this late from the 70s on everybody knows it's become one of the cardinal rules if you have sex you're gonna die there's always gonna be you know tits there's always gonna be sex and of course, you have your directors that wanted to carry on and make that a big part of the plot, right? And you know, which burst the, this exploitation genre. But we have obviously during the the late '90s and the early 2000s, this genre was dying and was pretty much relegated to your to your pay cable, you know, your Skinamax films or your or your late night Showtime or maybe even HBO, right? Um, just to kind of capitalize on the on the late hours deal. But we have seen the the decline of sex exploitation, and I'm kind of curious. As to you know, people as to what your thoughts are on what hap- what what the fuck happened to sexploitation? These films I, were fun, but it, something changed.
1: So, in all well, honesty, I, I really I, do think it has something to do with the with the like the empowering women type of thing, where they're tired of being just eye candy and whatnot. And that in, in horror film, Listen, I'm not necessarily talking about in in the real world but I think in the horror, horror genre is kind of moving away from that a bit because they're giving you know women want a little more representation other than you know tits and ass right um, they want to be
2: is- a Buffy they want to be you know that stronger role model and while there might be boobies still I mean right. yeah, there's still going to be some sex and everything but they it's not like in a degrading way or anything it's just yeah, we are you know human people we do this <laughs>
1: right and i think the the conversations like the whole issue or the whole business with uh, like jason Voorhees and killing the premier there's like an underlying thing about don't do premarital sex and don't do drugs and people are like fuck all that shit i mean why am i gonna kill because i'm having sex that's some dumb shit the reason why sexploitation has kind of gone away is because the whole conversation that conversation that sex is bad kind of went away especially in the 90s people the, the whole aid scare was kind of was fading out and you know the new sexual revolution was kind of happening and people were tired of being told no not don't have sex you're gonna get killed by some jason Voorhees or some some guy you know well
2: it was the same thing with drugs too because if you do drugs or if you have sex you're going to be killed in this movie
1: right
0: this is interesting that it is kind of an examination of the as american culture because every everyone who knows you know American history that that this country has is heavily founded in puritanical you know pretty much puritanical I- ideology. Oh yes, and you know sex is sex is bad. This you know you know, the, you know any kind of negative behavior, or any kind of thing you know that reflects upon, or any kind of behavior that reflects on people negatively, will lead to bad outcomes. The the uh, the stories, or I say the fairy tales or the fables that that children grow up with are all. Um, cautionary tales about doing bad stuff or disobeying your parents or going where you're not supposed to be or engaging in poor behavior will result in either death, dismemberment or something horrible happening. Exactly. And... Slowly but surely, we are we are driving past that. We are getting past the silliness of that, and and the the and the antiquated notion that these stories need to be told like this in such a ridiculous manner. And so, yeah, you can say as far as with the sexual revolution of the '90s, the empowerment of of women, um, with you know with you know Angela mentioned with characters like Buffy and the girls on Charmed, and. <laughs> You know the strides taken to bring women to the forefront, and we've seen that. We see that nowadays. We see you know with with uh, with characters like Black Widow, with Wonder Woman, and we see that women can be not uh, not only awesome on screen, but they can be a force to be reckoned with, standing up there with Superman and the like. Which I'm really, really, I really dig this because it's opened up whole new avenues for for female female driven, female centric films, which I really dig, and I'm looking forward to some seriously female centric horror films like The Descent. Um, movies like that Which really drive Certain certain aspects home That people take for granted And I think This is uh, An unfortunate And I, I, I want to Actually Unfortunate's the wrong word I don't want to use The word unfortunate I want to say that this is Kind of what happens With the genre Is that you will see Certain things die off As As society changes As society either matures Or Things kind of You know Or let's say the focus Begins to shift You know The Universal horror monsters are not so large anymore, but they will always be special to us.
2: Well, and I think that the genre also has to change, though. Like, it has to change and keep up, because things that were scary in the 70s and 80s, when there weren't, you know, cell phones. I mean, you can't really be like, you know, oh, I have no way of communication when everybody's got a cell phone. You have to find different ways to make things scary.
1: That that is also true. I was just going to say that the the you know if you look at the monsters, they all kind of come and go, right? So they have cycles, right? You know, you're never going to get rid of the universal monsters like Frankenstein or the Frankenstein monster will always somehow make his make his way back into uh, into horror. Wolfman, Dracula, all those, the mummy, all of them will still somehow find their way to come back to light. Um, they were supposed to be doing like this horror mcu type thing with the mummy but tom cruise is so terrible and they killed it so
0: yeah there was supposed to be a kickoff where they were the uh, kind of like universe like universal's dark universe something something like that right. it was um a kind of like, a, like a, uh, a revival of the original universal monsters of dracula wolfman right um frankenstein uh creature from the black lagoon invisible man like this, and which is so, which is crazy because yeah, the mummy, the Tom Cruise mummy was atrocious. It was so fucking bad. Um, I've only seen clips of it because it's just like, ugh. as long as that man's a Scientology, I just can't support much of what he does. Um, I don't give I respect fuck him as a fuck about Scientology. Stuntman,
1: I think he sucks as an actor.
0: <laughs> yeah, I respect him. I well, I, can we really? I mean, th- this that's that's the harsh words because he was pretty amazing in Tropic Thunder.
2: True.
1: I mean.
0: Okay.
1: I mean, okay, one film out of a bazillion.
0: (laughs) But he was amazing in Tropic Thunder, but behind the scenes of that, everything about Les Grossman, like the characterization, the style, everything he did, that was all Tom Cruise's idea. He brought all of that to the table. He was like, I want to play him like this, I want to have these big, hairy ass arms. I want to make him, you know, just this outlandish Jew. I want him bald with a bad comb over, and big and big glasses, and he's just a complete total fucking asshole to everybody. That was all Tom Cruise is doing. So maybe it's the writing that hurts him as much because the dude's creative. I got, I got to hand him that. Les Grossman was it was an amazing character that you know has that took on a life of its own. But you're right, Tom Cruise was terrible. I think the, the movie itself was terrible. Everybody in it was terrible. Russell Crowe was awful in it.
1: Oh, he just, phoned, just he uh, phoned the, the, that performance in.
0: Oh yeah, that was a total phone in. And word. so and then of course, um, the Frankenstein revival with James McAvoy and um, Harry Potter, uh, Dana Radcliffe, the that <laughs> one was just kind of boring. Well,
1: okay, so but that's the thing. Everybody expects Frankenstein to be this huge what is this what else is this supposed to be? I mean, if you if you think about the original Frankenstein, it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot going on there. It wasn't this super scary story.
0: True. You know, it wasn't. It was as guy. Fact, in fact, it, builds... in fact, it was more dramatic at, at times. Exactly.
1: That's probably the least horror of all of the movie monsters was Frankenstein.
0: And then, of course, all of these are are, are falling. And then, of course, the Benicio del Toro film, which was a shame because so much love went into that. And I lo- and Anthony Hopkins obviously loved that role. Anthony Hopkins brought so much to it, and Hugo Weaving was so great in it. But Benicio del Toro acted like he didn't want to be there. Yeah. And he just was he he kind of phoned that in as well, which is a shame because the special effects now were amazing. That Wolfman looked incredible, and all of that was just wasted on Benicio del Toro just being like, eh, okay, I'm bored. Maybe it was his interpretation of the of the character of of Lawrence's character, but I don't know. But that kind of fell that kind of fell flat. Yeah. And the only person who's been able to the only you know, studio's been able to turn in anything solid as far as the original Universal monsters was fucking uh, it was Blumhouse with their Invisible Man remake.
2: Oh yeah,
1: no, that was awesome. I still haven't seen that one.
2: You should. It was it is,
0: amazing. It's, it's fucking. It, it's it's awesome. It it was seriously cool. I haven't felt that way about a film in a really long time. I think the last two movies where I was legit like on the edge of my seat like this amazing was It Chapter One, and uh, The Invisible Man. Invisible Man had me on the edge of my seat. My mind was blown. They did. They they it was handled so well, and Elizabeth Moss is a amazing actress and just she brought so much to it. But yeah, that's the only one that's landed and it's because you know, big studio houses, big giant studio houses weren't were not involved in it. So maybe maybe it does take a smaller eye, maybe it takes a more creative uh you know Well, approach. yeah, I mean
1: it's for certain. You got that's the problem of dealing with, well, I say that like I fucking do it all the time. But <laughs> that's the problem that I perceive of dealing with large Let me just pop that microphone again. But dealing with large studios is that they want return on their investment so they want you know they're going to throw a lot of money into something expecting the huge return so they want you know oh we think what do we think that people want the average person wants explosions and visual this and all this cool stuff but you you're looking at the horror fan the horror fan wants to be they want to be entertained in a way that is much different than your average film goer it's yes. not about strictly just oh, I want to be terrified. That's part of it. Definitely, we definitely want to be frightened when we go see these films, but we want we also want to be intrigued. We want to be told a story,
2: right? And we don't want to see it all has coming. To
1: be <laughs> right.
2: I think another problem, though, is that there's just there's there's so many hands that a script goes through when you're dealing with a you know a large corporation like one of the big studios, right? Like. The, the script that is handed in at first is most certainly not the script that gets filmed.
1: Oh, of course not.
0: Oh, great. Yeah, absolutely. And studio interference. We've talked, we've talked at length about studio interference, fucking up the things that we really, that we want to see um, when the studio has their, I, I understand making movies is a business and we, you know, companies have to watch their bottom line like this, but you know, Blumhouse is like Blumhouse has proven you don't need to have your eye solely on your bottom line as long as you if you're if you make movies for the people who are going to watch them. Right. I right. mean, because they they. I mean, I can't I, I cannot say I, I couldn't possibly list off how many hits Blumhouse has had over how many misses they've had. Because even their misses still were enjoyable to the fans of that particular of, of the horror genre or the subgenre that it tackled. So Blumhouse has done extraordinarily well, um, even when they're working outside the horror genre. But the, the uh, that's where it is, and they've they've gone from tiny little movies to the Conjuring universe to freaking Halloween, and mm. now The Thing coming out here pretty yeah, soon. Yeah,
2: I just think that they're more in so touch with their customer it, it, base because that's what it is.
0: So that may also, yeah. So that may actually play into it. That may it not only have has society shifted, and why we don't see as much TNA. We don't see the kind of the mentality that you know, of viewing women as the as the victim in the horror film that leads up to the final girl, who's the who's the the uh, the the paragon of virtue and purity. But now we have we have the society has shifted. Women are empowered. We love seeing them kick ass in horror films. We love seeing female centric horror films. We get to see a lot of women kicking ass. We don't need tits and ass to 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 give a woman character, and as and not only that, but studios themselves have also shifted in that the money might not be there anymore, and so they don't get made just because. It's not financially... Uh, uh, what's a what's a good term? It's not... Um,
1: it's not economically viable.
0: Economically viable. <laughs> you knew exactly where I was <laughs> going. Yes, I <laughs> <did. Basically> responsible? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, praise to one of the best Michael Douglas performances ever.
1: Ever. Yes. Great film. Uh, so anyway, looping this back into sexploitation, uh, is the subgenre dead? Let us know. Uh, week in horror at gmail.com or in the comments section below. I nailed that one that time. Fucking hell! It took me four. You did a great job. It took me four goddamn appearances, but I nailed that shit.
2: (laughs) Proud of you. You did great.
1: (laughs) Nailed it like Jesus.
2: All right. Well, up next. Oh my god. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And. See
0: that that's that that's the beauty. That's the beauty of doing this fucking show is like Johnny's like nailed it like Jesus. And Angela's over like, God damn it. I
2: was about well, I to nail it like Jesus and you next. fucked it up for me, Johnny.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, we gotta have we gotta be laughing going into this next film. Yeah,
2: well, yeah, because it is Absolutely. Cooties. Uh, <laughs> September eighteenth, twenty fifteen. This film was directed by Jonathan Millett and Carrie uh, Murnian. I think that's how you say a name. Um, the writers are Lee Winnell, Ian Brennan, and Josh Waller. Huge cast. Uh, we're talking Elijah Wood, Rain Wilson, Allison Pill, Jack Breyer. Like, it, was, it was amazing. And you keep seeing more people, and you're like, I know that one too. I don't know their name, but I know them. Um, it was super awesome. Uh, basically, a bunch of kids had some bad chicken and turned into zombies. <laughs>
1: uh, a bunch of kids had bad chicken. That sounds like another movie. I watched.
2: <laughs> it was, uh, it was very entertaining. Very funny. Um, <laughs> I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. The, the, the chicken factory, uh, basically had some bad chicken sent out and these kids ate it and they were affected because they were children and not adults. If uh, the adults ate it, you know they just had what was it? Diarrhea, vomiting, and anal leakage. <laughs> so not great.
0: It's such, <laughs> it's such a, it's such a fantastic movie, yep. and, not, and not what you expect given the given the cast <laughs> that's in this, with especially with Elijah Wood and Rain Wilson, um, Jack McBrayer from Thirty Rock, uh, fucking Allison Pill from Scott Pilgrim uh, versus the World, and of course Jorge Garcia. Was up in this, and everyone should remember Jorge Garcia from. Uh, he was the big guy from Lost. Um, or if you if you're a fan of How I Met Your Mother, he was the Blitz. Oh yeah, but uh, but yes, an absolutely hysterical fucking movie, and I loved it because, and I, I love the dichotomy of this movie because it is it is it is uh, flat out funny. It has great moments, and the characters the the characters were were extremely well built. For the kind of film that this is, mm-hmm. and I love to—I've always imagined. You, know, if you've ever had the conversation, like what goes on in the teachers' lounge, you know, people always hear it's like, what, what did the teachers do when they're all in the lounge together? What kind of craziness? And I know the movie, The Faculty, kind of gave us a look at that. Where too they were—they're were, oh, right. in the teachers' yeah. lounge saying pretty much, "Fuck off to these kids!" Like we're out in the we're in the classroom saying, "Fuck off to the teachers." But I love the the the. The classic stereotypes, where Rain Wilson is the is the the PE teacher, and he's a complete and total like just you know brutish kind of dick, just you know thinking he thinking he's big swinging dick all over the place, and then all the different caricatures, and then you know the uh, Alice Pill is the mousy little teacher, and like and then so you take that concept and then you apply some of the most brutal fucking zombies I've seen in (laughs) years since probably Dawn of the Dead. Just the dawn of the dead. Yeah, remake. these
2: zombie kids were no joke. And I mean, they were assholes whenever they weren't zombies. <laughs>
0: yeah,
3: that's true. They would be like, This is true.
2: You look like my butthole's ass. <laughs> you look like if my butthole had a butthole, that's what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> and, like-
0: and then you go from that. You go from kids like that and turn around and then when they turn into zombies and shit and, you know, like then you have them out there in the playground during, you know, during their like zombie recess, like fucking playing jump rope with fucking intestines oh, and yeah. shit. Yep. So. Oh, yeah. It's fun. It's a crazy fucking movie. And I love the I love that, you know, the kid's. I, you know, I've seen child zombie films before. Like there was a there was a an indie film came out called The Children, where the yeah you know, was a Christmas style you know Christmas themed movie where all the kids there was some sort of disease that was affecting children. They all go crazy and kill their parents. And of course, you know, child zombies are are not are not new. This was done rather interestingly because it's more modern. Well, not um, to mention they
2: they made them um kind of smart because like as soon as what. One- the asshole kid got infected. You know, he ran around the entire playground just, like, scratching all the other kids. Like, not even, like, tackling them, just hey, scratching them.
0: Exactly. To spread the disease yep. and to make more of them. Which is interesting because I'm curious. Does this, uh, just, just your opinion, does this make the, are they zombies or are they more like rage zombies where they're just the infected?
2: Uh, They're more like rage zombies, I would say.
1: Uh, yeah, but I don't think there's any coming back from
0: that.
2: Oh, well, there are there, they oh, no, not. Oh not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. No. No, when he when he when he, when he, no. he slams that, that final kid into the tree into the tree at the end, yeah, there's no coming back You're from that. You're a hot.
2: I know, and it had one of the <laughs> one of the best, you know, last lines from uh Rain Wilson, naptime motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I, I also I think this is a seriously enjoyable film and I really dug it because you could tell everybody involved was having fun with this one and no one acted like they didn't want to be there everyone believed you know, you know I hate horror films where the where the actors are divested or they and they're just they're just there either because it's a paycheck or they're there because they're contractually obligated um you know, or it's just you know one movie to get through the time because you know they they've got a big span time. Why not do another movie that's really really easy? Because doing a movie like this is actually you know from an actor standpoint is actually quite easy. You either scream or you yell. You you have you know you deliver your there's lines. A lot of and running around, run around and 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 There's a lot of running around and pretty much just you know throw blood all over the kids and make them act crazy. Mm. And I dug this one just because of the dedication to it. And what everybody brought to it, Elijah Wood was fantastic. It was just classic Elijah Wood, Um and that's an interesting thing because ever since you know Elijah Wood's got that Lord of the Rings money. <laughs> In fact, all of them have that Lord of the, Lord of the Rings money. And what he has done with that is he cre- he created Specter Vision, which is his production company, and Specter Vision has has had some really interesting movies. Coming out because they've been behind. They were behind Cooties, but they've also been behind uh, the new Color Out of Space, just released with uh, Nicholas Cage.
2: Oh, I didn't realize that they were behind that.
0: Um,
2: I'm
1: sorry, but I can't think of anything that's good that has Nicholas Cage in it.
2: Mandy,
0: Color Out of Space was good. Color Out of Space was good. Oh, come on, Raising Arizona. Mandy, come on, come on. Mandy was fantastic.
1: <sighs> Listen, but guys. yeah, uh, so.
0: It's just a but, really uh,
1: awesome trip I'm going on. Okay, no, <laughs> Fuck that guy. he's
0: terrible. That's high praise. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Honey, uh, but, but you want to know, know who? Elijah Wood. <laughs> <laughs> hey, okay, okay. The The Rock was one thing, but National Treasure was fucking amazing. Oh, stop it! National Treasure was great. The first one and the second turned, one were both still fantastic. A turd. <laughs>
1: I'm not a Nick but, Cage fan. Uh, but, I can't do. I can't do Nick Cage. He's just terrible. So. I was actually rooting I was actually rooting uh for him to die in Wicker Man.
2: Oh, oh my on. god. Can we, can, can we skip
1: can we skip to the can we skip to the part where they sacrifice his dumbass?
0: Can we skip to the <laughs> meme part of the movie? <laughs> yeah. Not the bees. <laughs> But I um I have to I, I wanted because not a lot of people might know but Elijah Wood's Spectre Vision, um is has been doing quite well and uh, of some of the films people might not be aware but they focus their focus on genre films predominantly on horror and Cooties was the third film that they produced but they also did the really amazing A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which was a fantastic vampire flick, oh, um, uh, Mandy which was. Amazing, directed by Panos Cosmatos, just absolutely stunning film. Fucking love it. color out of space, and uh,
1: did they have Barry Manilow? And they've, got us-
0: <laughs> and they've got a bunch of stuff coming up. I can't wait to they to they do the second installment, until they produce the second installment in their love in their Lovecraftian kind of trilogy. Because I know um, the Dunnage Horror will be coming out here in a couple of years, but they've been doing fantastic. But mm-hmm. It's weird, obviously, because after Elijah got done with Lord of the Rings, he's got that Lord of the Rings money. He was able to branch out and do stuff that you wouldn't expect, like um, uh, the Maniac remake, yeah. which I don't know about y'all, but blew my fucking mind.
1: I liked him in Wilfred, that whole series. Oh, amazing. His character was, Wilfred, Wilfred was fantastic. Was his, yeah, so his character never lost he never lost my interest. And that's difficult to do over a, over a long series.
0: I think it was was five seasons.
1: It was four seasons, unfortunately. Four seasons. Okay. Yeah. Well, and, really, and, three and, and a half.
0: And every episode was discovery. Yeah, and I and I and I love that the most about that is that we just we're, that we are on the that they did so well at putting us on the journey with him.
1: Right. Well, so to get to your point, it seems as if well, not seems as if you know it, Elijah Wood is able to focus solely on passion projects. You know what I mean? So he did Lord of the Rings and he did Sin City that were big money and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But he, ever since then, he's done a lot of passion projects. Well,
2: I mean, he, he's he one of the the few child actors that has, you know, actually been successful and, you know, stayed out of the news for doing craziness. Um, so, you know, I'm glad that he is able to do all these passion projects because they're turning out awesome.
1: Oh, for certain. Like I said, he's able to do things he actually cares about. Like I said, what was the other one? What was the other one he did, JL?
0: He did one with um, Stephen McCaddy, Come to Daddy. Yes,
1: that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. That was actually, I don't know if I would call that a horror film, more of a thriller, but either way, um, you could tell he actually, when he's in his role, you can actually tell he gives a shit about everything about this film. So he's never phoning
0: it in. Yeah. I've never seen him phone in, phone in a single uh film, no matter what he's doing. And, um, I mean, ever since uh, I th- he landed on my, I think I he landed on my radio. Ra- uh, I was almost say not with Radio Flyer because most people remember him with, from Radio Flyer, but from The Good Son with him. Oh radio yeah, Coldplay. yeah, he did. Re- yeah, that was uh, the the two of them were uh, were amazing in that they movie, were. but. And uh, your classic good versus evil for those who haven't seen it, you know, it came out many, many years ago. I don't, don't have the year. and me oh, I don't have the year it came out on me. But for those who haven't seen the good son with Ooh, Elijah Wood, and Macaulay Culkin, so classic good. good versus early nineties, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, I think they so. were just and, one.
2: little babies back then.
0: They were babyface. Ninety three, yes. yeah, nineteen
1: ninety
0: three. Oh my god, Macaulay Culkin was, you know, for that age, was terrifying well, in that film. What
1: people, what people may remember our uh, people our age will remember is that this this was right after uh home alone 2 so yep. he still has that home alone 2 look and you know the the movie you saw right before the good son was home alone 2 and it's like cute kid running around escaping joe pesci and you know all those zany antics and whatnot and then all of a sudden here he is shooting bolts through cats trying to drop people off of freaking bridges and kill his mother
0: mm-hmm.
1: such a straight up yeah,
0: yeah. Straight up, so and it's and it starts off just very, very much associate. Or very much, I uh, would say, you know, at that point, I think in 1993 we would have uh, we would have labeled a definite psychopath oh, yeah in that respect. But yeah, a, bur- a burgeoning serial killer right there, just bad fucking news. And then of course, playing across from the angelic Elijah. Oh yeah, right. um,
2: because uh, Elijah Wood you know, had we- just done Puck Finn <laughs> for for like Disney. Oh I, yeah, yeah. him yeah, and Devin it, Sawa. Yeah. Oh my nineties boys. Woo! <laughs> they had that haircut, <laughs> but it,
0: it, and it's wild. I love the fact that he's doing this. That Elijah Wood has branched out and is doing stuff that you wouldn't expect. Oh, you know, he he after Lord of the Rings, he could have gone in any direction. He could have gone behind the camera. He could have been directing. Yeah, when, once you're on a film set for as many years as he was you get a taste of all of it because obviously you know he's not on camera all the time he's he's on set he's either in his trailer or he's helping out or he's doing lines off camera you you learn things you learn from the director's perspective from the 80s perspective via from all these from all this stuff and he could have gone that direction and he he went, he's gone into production but he's still acting and i love that but he's getting and you're right he is getting to do passion projects stuff that he that he thinks is funny stuff mm-hmm. that he enjoys and it's such a and as much as I respect him for it, and I love him for it, and the stuff he's producing is great, it is an indictment of how Hollywood works these days. That as an actor, to do the things that you truly love, to to pursue the projects and get them made, to be a part of the things and really enjoy yourself as an actor in this industry, you you gotta have that that dollar. Yeah. Um, I maybe maybe
2: yeah, but I think a lot of it is also because he's been in the industry. I mean. It's 2020. He's been doing this since what, like 1990?
0: Um, since Back to the Future 2. Yep.
2: Like I, what year was that? I don't know. Uh, 92? 90,
0: 92. 92. I think. Isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Think so, 99. so almost
2: 30 years. <laughs> so, I mean, he's made a lot of connections. He's worked with a lot of people. Ooh.
0: Back to the Future 2, 89. 89. So I'm thinking over 30 years. Yep. Yep.
2: You know Elijah Woods only one year younger than you, JL.
0: Oh God, he is. He's thirty nine. Yep. How did come you, you look that? so did much older? Speaking of, did you see that? <laughs> well, you know. Yeah, as far as for all the things that he does, he's an actor. He's a voice actor. He did, done great voice stuff. Um, he I, I he was good in nine. I really enjoyed him in nine. Um, he, he brought that character really to life. Um, he's also a producer, but he you know he's also a fucking DJ.
1: Well, when you have all the time in the world to do whatever the fuck you want, I mean, come on.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> this is true. You know, Jesus. Yeah, I would. If I had Elijah Wood time, I'd be a DJ too, just because.
2: I mean, anyone can do it. Wasn't like Paris Hilton a DJ too? No, or...
1: like... no, 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 no. Paris Hilton was a stripper.
2: Also. <laughs> <laughs> that as well.
1: <laughs> uh, what Paris Hilton won't do for a dollar?
2: Dollar, dollar bills. <laughs> fuck you pay me so, so
0: freaking cool oh and we totally we totally space you yeah, totally space on, on he was kevin in sin city yeah. oh right yeah that's I another forgot role about that,
1: that yeah he that, that's one of the roles that really when i watched sin city um wasn't too particularly thrilled with the film but his character the way he portrayed his character was amazing
2: let's see you hop Again, around now
1: you can right yeah that's where you can see his dedication to the character and not necessarily inserting himself.
0: Yeah. So, so, so friggin' cool. Um, I wonder what he's got. What is he, what is, Oh boy got coming up? Cause I know we've got, we know, uh, Spectre vision is bringing out arch enemy. Um, cause he was a producer on, uh, Oh, he's doing, he's, he's a pretty, so he's, he's pretty much producing. Uh, he did come out, uh, come to daddy. Um, but he's been producing predominantly. And uh, I really did enjoy. If people have checked it out. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Was a really kind of creepy thriller, really, really offbeat indie film that was on Netflix. Now I thought it was that was really good. He really stepped out of his uh, comfort zone in that one. So, but man, thanks to the thanks to him and his ability to do this, we have gotten Spectre Vision and some really fantastic films will be listed off that uh, Spectre Vision has brought out that I think not, not a lot of people might know, but. Um, should definitely check out, and so we have Elijah Wood to thank for that one, especially for a film like Cooties, and all the fun stuff he's doing. So I know that Spectre Vision, uh coming up has uh, their their second installment in their Lovecraftian trilogy, which would be the Dunwich the Dunwich oh, Horror. Be cool. Um, there's no specific date on that one, but I know that there. I think that one's in pre production as it is. Uh, this whole the whole you know pandemic COVID nineteen situation has mm-hmm. fucked everything up for everybody. Thanks, twenty twenty.
2: Well like to pose this to the audience what do you think uh specter vision's future is going to be uh do you think they're going to keep going down the horror uh road do you think they're going to branch out and do something else let us know in the comments below or shoot us an email weekendhorror at gmail.com what do we have next jl
1: oh. <laughs> <laughs> everybody it's pat sajak and Van life <laughs>
0: Yes, closing out this week, um, we have a, 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 another favorite of mine, and I'm one of the few that actually like really, really loved this movie. <laughs> Even though my mind was blown by it when I, I got to review this movie when, you know, when you know, before it actually saw release, and this one blew my so fucking much mind. so uh, he made me watch released... it. <laughs> yes. Oh boy! Uh, September release, September 19th, 2014. We have the horror, the comedy horror film Tusk.
2: Oh yeah.
0: So. Uh, directed by the one and the only uh, the 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 man Kevin Smith and written by Kevin Smith based upon an episode of his of his podcast Modcast I think it was like episode thirty seven or something like that um, and starring uh, Michael Parks the late great legendary Michael Parks uh, Justin Long Haley Joel Osment Genesis Rodriguez and you probably wouldn't know unless we told you uh, Johnny mm-hmm. Depp was in this fucking movie. <laughs> if you could believe that shit um and also starring um Harley Quinn Smith uh Kevin Smith's daughter and Lily Rose Depp Johnny Depp's daughter in uh kind of kicking off their uh, kicking off their careers but uh the film Tusk based on an episode of their podcast where a a reclusive indiv- a reclusive strange um eccentric guy offers to um Tell, you know, offers to basically tell stories about his amazing life. And Justin Long plays a podcaster who is looking for something interesting to put on his show. And so he arrives at the house and then is drugged. And the old man then proceeds to turn him into a walrus. Gross. Because that's to, what they do.
2: Because, that's because that's why they, not?
0: Because that, that's what happens. Um, The whole, the whole thing, the whole fucking film, this whole movie was based off of a, of an episode of Smodcast in which there was a, a hoax article put in a classified section and I can't remember what newspaper it was in. And it was the, the, the hoax advertisement was this guy was looking for a roommate to come and, and live there. And it would be all bills paid and all, and uh, all rent paid. The only difference was the only the only caveat was that the person who lived with him would have to spend one hour a day dressed as a walrus and act like a walrus for that one hour. Oh, that's so weird. And so they were talking about that. They were you know they, obviously Kevin and Scott Mosher were stoned as fuck and they were on the podcast yeah. and they were talking <laughs> right. about this and they started developing the idea for a movie and they began the the hashtag. Contest, you know, either walrus yes or walrus no, and depending upon how much responses they got via Twitter, um, it was either you know walrus yes, and walrus yes. Obviously, won out because the internet, and that's what the internet does, um, and so tusk was made where Justin Long gets turned into a fucking walrus.
2: <laughs> yes, he does. Because, yeah. Yes, he does.
1: <laughs> oh jeez, I saw the trailer for this and had it not been the fact that it came from kevin smith i wouldn't have farted in this fucking film's general direction
0: (laughs) (laughs) it cannot be denied that michael parks was off with michael parks was like legendary in this movie he was fantastic okay especially after seeing him in red state
1: so the movie was put together It was very well put together um and you could tell that even though this started out as a joke that kevin smith didn't Treat it like a joke. He treated it like a real film that he wanted to make. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, again, so that's, that's where the cast comes in. That's where the, I don't know how, I don't know what I think about the story. That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm just surprised that Jay didn't show up somewhere in this film.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I, I think, well, um, I know that this kicked off, um, Kevin Smith's True North trilogy because uh, he followed this up with Yoga Hosers, and after that it's supposed to be Moose Jaws, um, which will be his you know his True North trilogy. It's kind of like homage to Canada, and uh, but Blame it was Canada. interesting. Whereas Yoga Hosers fell on its face was just a critical yeah. and a financial failure. It was it, because that that really that film was really more of a vehicle for for Harley Quinn and for Lily Rose because uh, they were you know then playing the leads in that. But Tusk was interesting, and I think it was so. Obviously, it was such a course correction for Kevin Smith because he hadn't done anything for a while. He was he was still, I, and you could tell he was still somewhat bitter about what happened with Cop Out. And yeah. I can see.
1: Didn't he just come what, off of that heart attack? Like he had that he had that the Widowmaker. No, heart this
2: was uh,
0: before uh, that. Yeah, the, yeah, Tusk was before. Oh, okay,
1: that. okay, okay. I can not remember if it was before or after.
0: Um, he had that that occurred, I believe, in between. Um, yoga Hosers and Tusk and because in uh, Yoga Hosers you could tell he'd already lost con- a considerable amount of weight when he was playing the 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 uh, the Nazi Bratwurst. Oh,
2: that's right. <laughs> uh,
0: I just said that and already oh, you're not going to go watch I mean, that movie.
2: <laughs> I mean, I love Kevin Smith. I am a huge freaking fan, but man Yoga Hosers, man. <sighs> you could tell it was just him trying to make something for his daughter.
1: But yeah, there's nothing oh, yeah. wrong with that. It worked for Robert Rodriguez.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely, and but he, uh, and he um, could have done better. Here. Is my point?
2: <laughs>
0: oh, he could have. Sure. It obviously worked here because uh, Harley Quinn Smith showed up in Once Upon a Time right. in Hollywood. So it's What kind of there. asshole father
1: is he, though, to name his daughter Harley Quinn after the shittiest Batman character ever written?
0: Oh, don't. don't. Okay, that needs to be a part of your unpopular opinion series because they are motherfuckers out there love that love them some yeah. Harley Quinn. Just
1: because they love them some sexual fantasy doesn't mean it's a good character. It's not even a real character.
0: <laughs> she was created for the animated series. It's true. She
1: was created for the animated series, and her whole backstory was retconned. They just stole from a completely different character's backstory and gave it to Harley Quinn. That's so terrible. She was meant to be a one (laughs) and done. I'm sorry. Got me on a rant.
0: No, if Craig ever listens to this, he's going to jump all over you.
1: Oh, I hope he does. But let him let him try. (laughs)
0: I I was I was wild. The thing about this when when I reviewed this movie, I was wildly blown away by the by the costume design because everything in the film was practical. Yep. Because Kevin Smith, you know, loves practical effects as much as we love practical effects. He doesn't rely on CGI. And uh, despite the fact that there there was one pretty harrowing scene in there where fucking. where Justin Long is in the suit is in this. It, it, I shit you not. For anybody who's not seen this goddamn movie, a full fucking size walrus suit that looks like it's it's stitched together out of human yeah. skin. Yeah, yeah. And he's you know he you know the character he cuts off his legs and he he cuts off his legs and then sews them all together to make like the you know, the tail uh, and uh, to make the tail fins and then takes his shin bones um, and basically. Sands them down into tusks and then inserts them into his mouth, and so he he, he turns him into a fucking walrus. I yep. shit you not. And then there's a pretty harrowing scene where he's in the water,
3: mm, yeah. where he actually
0: you know puts him on a chain. He actually drags him into the water and makes him swim like that. I'm trying trying to imagine being in this horrific scenario in this suit, like oh my god, and his tongue is cut out. He can't talk. He can only make walrus noises. It's really really twisted, and I'm not. I don't want to spoil how it ends. It gets it gets wild, but. The 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 suit construction is fucking insane, and trying to imagine as an actor being in that situation because you could tell it was not comfortable because he's literally you know kind of in the walrus position right for like the 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 in the pretty much the third act of the film.
2: Yep.
1: Uh, would so I don't know. Would you want to do that like first half of shoot or the last half of shoot?
0: I would want to get Same. that out of the way.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I would too. Because
2: that's
0: knock out, knock out the walrus shit, and then and then do all the stuff where I get to just be me and be normal and you know all the character acting. But knock out all the walrus shit because that shit looked obnoxious. It, it, it looked painful. Yeah. Because of the position that he was consistently in, up, you know, up, basically, you know, on his, not able to use his legs up on his hands and trying to move around in that, in that in the giant, in that enormous freaking suit. Not to mention with the big old tusk right there, you can barely talk and he's, you know, slobbering all over the place. It you totally disgusting.
2: Yeah, I would yeah. definitely um, want to do that at the first half of the shoot because uh, not only would it be really uncomfortable, but also, you, you know, you're going to have to take a lot more breaks and a lot more, you know, weird angles than you might anticipate say so, you know it's probably going to take you a lot longer to actually shoot that part versus you know hey i'm just a a, a guy now
1: <laughs> yeah it's rough on the knees um yeah get it in get out get on with my
0: day yeah it was wild and uh, you are correct i gotta kind of harken back to what johnny was saying about that getting michael parks for this film, and Michael Parks is a legendary actor. Um, I know most horror fans will will remember him. Fub, he was the uh, he was the sh- the sheriff in um in uh, uh Rodriguez from Dust Till Dawn. Yep. He was the sheriff who was uh up there at the front, and he was also, of course, he was the sheriff in uh Kill Bill,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which I think actually were the same character.
1: Yep. And Grindhouse.
0: And in Grindhouse, that's right. Yeah, it is um, the same
1: character. It's, it's the same character as all of them.
0: And then of course, uh, you know, uh, Kevin Smith is a, was a, is a huge fan was a huge fan of um, Michael Park's work and he cast him in Red State, which um for, you know, Michael Park's took to be for the opportunity to be like a legit straight scary villain in that respect. And just you know, you know, we're, he, with no redeeming qualities whatsoever. It was such a departure for him cuz he can play intimidating guys. He's got he had that 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 thick gravelly voice. Yep. And was capable of just such energy and presence. Um, but he he felt yeah, Michael Parks took that and that's how he kind of got into the uh into the Kevin Smith camp. And but the fact that, you know, Michael Parks was willing to to himself don a walrus suit for the big climactic finale <laughs> yep. of Tusk it just goes to show you know, his his you know, his love of the project and what they were doing. And you know, Michael Parks believed in it. Johnny Depp certainly believed in it, um, as uh in the the inspector. Oh god, what the fuck was his name? Um, um, uh, guy, I can't, guy, guy, Lapointe, guy, Lapointe. Anyway, it was freaking weird. Yeah, but such a that, that, and that brings it up because Kevin Smith swung, you know, obviously, you know, clerks, mall rats, chasing Amy, dogma, you know, comedy was his forte, that was what he did. Cop out, comedy, um, Jersey girl, almost comedy. And yeah. then all of a sudden, just hard left. Let's do fucking horror. And Red State was phenomenal. Yeah. And I know th- that critics were divided. I, I don't care what the critics say about Red State. Red State was fucking amazing. Michael Parks, John Goodman, um, shit. Uh, oh god, I, I totally lost her. The actress she played uh, the mom in uh, that Mark was well, in the Fighter.
2: Um.
0: Oh, either way, I can't, I can't recall. But nonetheless, um, fantastic acting across the board. John Goodman was was phenomenal. Michael Parks was just just completely insane and outrageous. And I love that fucking movie. And then, of course, it comes out with Tusk. Yoga Hosers was more goofy. It was more like you know mall Rats, You know the the fucking bratsies and shit. Um, we'll see what Moose Jaws brings, which is all supposed to be a straight horror film. Um, so, but how what, do I we mean, feel
2: about Kevin Smith doing Horde? Just. Uh- like I
0: love I, mean, I love Kevin doing I love Kevin doing doing horror like legit horror I love him doing I think he's got a great mind for it
2: I mean I do too Did but I, I mean it's it's so weird for me because I just I, I was such a big fan of <laughs> you know all of the the comedies you know dick and fart jokes all the way um, and then you you know you see him doing this this horror stuff and I, I mean. Tusk was a great, great movie. Red State was awesome. So uh, it's, it's going to be interesting if he decides to go back down the rabbit hole to horror again, or if he's going to continue uh, doing more comedy, or, um, or what he decides to do.
1: Well, why can't he do both?
2: I, I mean, he absolutely can. I would love True. to see him do a horror movie full of dick and fart jokes. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. It's like my grandmother said, Holden. That's what the money is, Dick and <laughs> Yeah, she was a sh- she She's was a, a churchgoer.
2: churchgoer. <laughs> mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
0: But I I mean I I love his horror films. Um, there's something to be said. I know that it's it are, it's stated a lot of times that behind comedy behind comedy there is darkness, um, and kind of like a way of looking at the world where it, there's a there's a kind of cynicism behind comedy, and then the ability to see the to to laugh at that.
2: Well, and um, also, though, and it, um, I- I'm curious if, because uh, he did Tusk before his heart attack, I'm wondering if that changes his perspective on things as well, though.
1: Oh, absolutely. A near-death experience like that, yeah. Whether you're a person of faith or not, hey, motherfucker, you almost died. That, it's going to make you yeah. think about shit.
2: You're right, and I'm curious as to what effect it's going to have on you know his writing,
0: well, we can see he's def- definitely, he's definitely put the nose to the grindstone. Obviously, definitely about his health, he's, he's oh, looking yeah. fantastic he's these it days. Out there. Um, he's yeah. in great shape, um, which is interesting because he talks, he talks, he's talked he's spoken at length about Jen, his wife. Jen is a total chubby chaser, and now he is in no way chubby at all. He's in fantastic shape, <laughs> so <laughs> I find that to be. The, 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 I'm curious about the dynamic of their relationship, but she makes um, come in a fat suit. that's only as a Kevin <laughs> – <laughs> that's only. <laughs> that's only as a Kevin Smith. I fan. need you to gain a um, hundred pounds. But you can tell with the uh, with the work that he's done because he's directed uh, many episodes, uh, several episodes in the Arrowverse. He's directed Super and Flash. Um, and he's directed the Flash and the Flash. And I think it had. I think you know that event did have uh, a profound effect because he also he has he has a uh, several podcasts. He's got a. Uh, uh, Fat Man on Batman. He's got uh, Jan Solid Bob. Uh, he's got an unboxing series with uh, with uh, Jason Mewes. He's got the Smodcast that he still does. Um, I think that comes out like once a month. So he's got a, he's got a shit ton of irons in the fire. Not to mention he's got more movies coming out. He's still planning on making uh, Moose Jaws. He's gonna do uh, Twilight of the Mall Rats. Um, so he's got lots of things going on. I think, but I think it ramped up his create his his need to be creative. Now, I don't know if that's because he came so close to death, and he's like, I've got to get these stories told. Other, other, I might not get to tell them. But it, de- I imagine it does change your perspective coming that close.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, it has to, yeah, for certain. Because, I mean, the type of heart attack that he had, I mean, it is called the Widowmaker. Yep. He is extremely yep. lucky to be alive.
0: Weed saved his life. Yeah, I think he credited <laughs> weed. He credited weed as saving his life.
1: Yeah, n- nothing to do with those doctors definitely the weed
0: well no no because he had the heart attack when he was at work and he was he was because he was so high he was panicking well he was he was back he was backstage yeah and he wasn't feeling well and he was kind of like yeah I'm just not feeling well and he laid down he was kind of like uh I don't know He was like well let's go ahead and take you you're not looking too good let's go take was like no it's the it'll pass let's take you to the hospital was like okay let's go to the hospital and he'd he'd smoked a shit ton of weed beforehand he smoked he was smoking weed during his heart attack and then he took it to the hospital and he was like, Doctor, do, I got to be honest. Tell me, was, was it the weed? And he was like, In the dark, like, Hell no. The weed saved your life hmm. because you didn't panic. You remained calm. You were chill. You didn't throw your blood pressure up all over the place. So, yeah, holy shit. So, and that's pretty much what they did. And then, so yeah, there you go, yeah, kids.
1: Uh, JL from the Weekend Horror Podcast says, Smoke weed, don't get a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm relaying the story that Kevin Smith said, "Smoke weed, don't have a heart attack, <laughs> <laughs> or don't let the heart attack kill you." But hysterical. But I, I'm very curious. You know, obviously Kevin Smith. You know, he's got this background in kind his, his forte is comedy. He has branched out into horror. I like what he's done as far as horror. His, I think his horror has hit a little bit harder. Clerks will always be. Clerks and Chasing Amy will always be. You know, you know, very very precious to me as as, as a Kevin Smith fan. I lo- Both those movies just spoke to me. Um, just, you know, like slacker, like slacker spoke to Kevin Smith. Um, but I love his horror. So that brings me up. I'm very curious. I want to ask the audience. He has the third installment of his True North trilogy, Moose Jaws, supposedly coming out. Uh, originally, we would heard that Silent Bob was going to die in Moose Jaws. Silent, jo- Silent Bob was going to be eaten by the moose. But he's actually, we've heard now as far as June of this year, he's pulled Jalen Silent Bob out of that movie. So they will not be showing up in that. Um, but Moose Jaws, are we looking forward to it? Do we want it to happen? Do we want him to complete the trilogy, or should Kevin Smith, you know, keep his now smelt ass back in comedy where he started? Do you dig the horror, do you know, or or not? Are you looking forward to Moose Jaws coming out? Let us know in the comments down below, or hit hit us up. We love getting your emails. Hit us up at weekendhorror at gmail dot com. We want to know what you think.
2: Yeah, tell us.
0: Yeah, tell them.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and. uh you know, Kevin Smith and everything, but uh, Jason Mewes, he uh, he had his own movie that he did fairly recently, didn't he?
0: Yes, yes he did. Uh, Jason Mewes um, had his directorial debut because he's actually, he's, he's acted in several little things where he's shown up here and there um, and had some decent, had some roles uh, but he had his first major, I think his big leading role and his directorial debut um, called uh, uh, Madness in the method. That's what it was. God, I hope I, I quoted that right because I because I rented the movie on Amazon Prime and it was, it was actually
2: re- really really good. It
0: was really good. It was really good, and it was what really good, what really blew my mind is you never thought you would see it. You never th- think you would see it because you think Jay and Silent Bob, you know Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes, you know Kevin and Jay, they're just you know they're together. They're, they're, they're like one of the biggest bromances ever. And there was a scene in that film that blew my fucking mind because it was Kevin and Jay. And Kevin Smith is playing himself and Jason Mewes is playing himself. Um, you know, like, you know, the, the artistic licensed versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. And Jay and Kevin get into a fight over Jay writing, or over Jay seemingly having the audacity of branching off and his failures to branch off him, uh, Kevin Smith, you know, kind of like, you know, he ribs him out like that. But Kevin has always felt that there was this underlying kind of animosity towards Jay, like kind of blaming because Jay can't really be anything more than Jay. You know, Snoochie Boochies, that's what he is. And him trying to break off as a, as a, as an actor, there's a kind of like resentment there that you've solidified me as Jay, and now I can't do anything other than just be Jason Mews. And the two of them get into a fight. They have an argument, which I imagine it was it it was too real. It, I, it was almost like it was the, these were things that they had maybe hinted at or maybe said in the past, but it kind of made it to the made it to the script and it was in there because the two of them go up. off on each other, huh?
1: Just pent up bullshit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it was basically how Jason, how Jason's view of himself as because the world views him through the lens of Jay, and how hard it is for him to kind of break out of that mold as the the. The druggy, you know, sidekick.
3: Well, you know, that Kevin Smith has molded drugs. him
0: into.
1: Oh and yeah, he, no he did. Do a lot of drugs in your real life.
2: He did. He's been sober for yeah. quite some time now, but yeah, no, he did all the drugs.
0: But I strongly recommend it. Um, Jason Mewes. Yeah, uh, he ends up. And a whole bunch of people stop buying that. Kevin Smith is in it. Danny Trejo is in it. Um, fucking uh, Danny Trejo. Gina. Uh, <laughs>
1: huh? I said fucking Danny Trejo.
0: Oh yeah, and and it's in a role you would not expect. You'll fucking love it. Um, Gina Carano is in it. A whole bunch of fucking people. Stop by Stan Lee makes his uh, makes his obligatory appearance. Um, and oh you know, God rest you know God rest Stan Lee. Love him, uh, love him, and miss him. Um, but definitely check that out. I think it's called Madness in the Method, uh, which is really a really really cool directorial debut for Jason Mewes. So definitely want to throw that out there. But yes, as always. Um, we want to hear what uh, what you guys think. So definitely hit us up, weekendhorror@gmail.com. And that, and unfortunately, this week we have no birthdays and no in memoriams. This is a well, rare week where I nothing fell. I will
1: I will say this: uh, there are actually two birthdays that are very near and dear to me, uh, happening oh, okay. at the end of this month. Uh, both my wife and my youngest daughter have birthdays, so. They're your placeholder for the birthdays. I know they're not horror icons. <laughs> well,
2: if, I mean, we can always throw out JL and I's anniversary is, is coming up as well. <laughs>
1: that is this pretty is scary. true. That is pretty yes. scary. I mean. Uh, uh, Angela
0: and I, <laughs> Angela and I have been there. It'll be 17 years this uh, coming up here yep. pretty soon. Wow.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. 17 years. 17 years. Mm. I know. Our uh, uh, our relationship can almost almost <laughs> JL, And uh, I have to ask you a question. Yeah, yeah, yes, sir.
1: What's it like to be froze out all the time?
0: I'm not going to grace that with a response. <laughs> Your youngest. That's that's uh, Jocelyn, right? Jocelyn. Yep.
1: She'll turn. Yes. She's turning um, six.
2: She's adorable.
0: She's such an absolute sweetheart. Yeah. I hope I hope uh, Angela gets to meet her one day. She'll get an absolute <laughs> kick out of her. She's they, they all of his kids are a blast. Evan is a blast, Jocelyn's a blast. Um, did you
1: see the... Did you saw the tasting video? Yes.
0: <laughs> yes, I did watch it. And, did
1: you hear her uh, screaming in the background?
0: I did. I did. <laughs> and uh th- their reaction to the Mountain Dew chips was kind of interesting.
1: Uh, yeah, they're uh, it's cuz they start out like just uh, like a lime, like a lime chip. i was like, "Oh, okay, but then it gets sweet." Like, "Oh, that's not good." No. Doesn't No. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to have to get uh, get my hands on that so I can well, do Well, we saved you some, so
1: you video. need to swing by and pick <laughs> pick up some of these goodies so you can do your own little taste testing.
0: Yeah, I got to do a taste test video. So that's three videos I got to get done on my get YouTube Get it together.
2: Channel.
0: God.
1: Uh, yeah, but yes. the, the taste testing one is easy. So you just plug and play and record that shit. And then, Pretty much. Yeah.
0: And just record your reactions. Yeah. <laughs> that one's simple. I'm looking forward to it. Alright, well that closes out another episode of Week in Horror. I want to thank all of our listeners so much for stopping by and giving us a listen. We love you guys. We could not do this fucking show without you. Um, As always, you can check in with us at weekinhorror.net. There, if you throw your email address on our mailing list we enter you in permanently for a mystery shirt giveaway we just did our one for september and we got it coming up at the top of every single month get yourself a mystery horror shirt by jumping in there and throwing your name or throwing your email address on our mailing list there on the website we also have links to all of our episodes wherever you love podcasts if you listen to podcasts on your favorite whatever your favorite station is and we have links to our online (coughs) store where you can check out the t shirts and the mugs that we have at teespring.com slash weekend horror. Very, very cool stuff. All the links at weekendhorror.net. As always, we want your feedback, your comments, your questions, your emails, your hate mail. We love it. Alex is extremely lonely. He loves reading that stuff when he's sitting in his house he all loves by that himself. Hate mail. And you can always hit us up. <laughs> at weekendhorror@gmail.com. At We'd love to hear what you think or always you can comment in the uh in the or you can drop a uh, a line in the comments below. We'd love to hear what you think, your criticisms, your feedback, whatever you've got. If you really really fucking love what we do here, we love it. We hope you love it. If you really love it, you can support the show at patreon.com slash weekend Horror. We have tiers as low as $1 for our horror fanatics going all the way up to our undying tier, which will give you an opportunity if you jump on that tier. There's only five of them to be on the show because we want you, if you're hardcore enough to go for that tier, to be on the show yeah. with us and actually give us that horror. If you got, if you think you got what it takes to hang with us, we want you on here. So check those out patreon.com slash horror you also get early access to our you can get early access to our bloodbath debates and our after dark sessions with our special guests as always follow us on facebook and twitter where you can get your daily you get your daily splatter a little bit of horror knowledge every single day straight to your feed facebook.com slash horror or at twitter at week horror check out our youtube channel we are on youtube all of the episodes are up there and search weekend horror we are right there on top And hopefully, if you love it, subscribe, hit that notification bell, and it'll let you know when new stuff drops. As always, I am JL. I'm
2: Angela.
0: I'm Johnny O. We will see you all next week for the big-ass season finale. And as always, stay scared.